CSI Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, Season 3. Some black keys right here. of the energy of love that you know how we love and how we're loved and giving and receiving and you know it's like it's like realizing that love doesn't default on us you know the most unhappy people are, are the ones who are trying to muster up enough energy to love a person or the things that they love and it's like I ended the last show with uh, some words from, from Rick Warren from The Purpose Driven Life that, you know, the purpose for our life doesn't begin with us. It doesn't default on us. The fact that we live, the fact that we exist, the fact that we are in this place in time, you know, in the city or, or region that you're in at this point in history is for God's purpose and not yours. And there's a lot of freedom in realizing that. See, I think the big lie that we believe is that if I get to accumulate more stuff or if I get to consume more things or if I get to, you know, uh, draw into myself more relationships, if more people can serve me, then I'll be happy. That's, that's a big lie that we believe. Because the truth is, and this is not just theology, but it's also modern you know, cognitive science is studying depression and anxiety. The facts are that the more we appreciate the things we have, the relationships we have, the, the loves that we have, right? The more happier we are, the more fulfilled we are, the more joy we have and gratitude and appreciation towards those things. But even that statement in and of itself can be shallow and hollow because without someone to be grateful for or to appreciate, you know, it, it, that energy just goes back into faults on us, right? Does that make sense? Like there is a creator of these things. And that's that, you know, that's that love that keeps us waiting, right? when we can enter into the presence of God, we can do that here on this planet. But also when we pass from death to life, we're, we're all going to die. And, and, you know, that's just something I talked about beginning the last show. And I want you to realize that here as well. There is an afterlife. So approaching this topic of energy on today's show is is breaking down some of the kind of scientific put it on paper mathematical formula of cognitive science and maybe realizing the theological truth of worship all right that we're all you know the thoughts of our mind and all this you know the psychological well let's how how does that make you feel right like let's break that down and it has to do with 
spiritual energy. And I know there's people listening who are probably thinking, well, it's all cognitive science and the heart is simply a part of your mind, right? It's your amygdala and your rational, emotional mind coming into, you know, effects and collision and messed up, jacked up circuit wires that got disconnected. You're, you're all just wires in a box, Russ, aren't you? Well, yeah, sure, you are. It, to some degree, yes. I, I agree with that. Like a lot of stuff that's, you know, in scripture and in theology could be explained by cognitive science. But there's a lot of things that can't, and there's a lot of things that aren't. And the scientific method, all right, if you think about the scientific method for a moment, those of you who've been to college, you know what I'm talking about. Scientific method is, you know, you're studying a certain thing, right? And you have a topic and you have a, a work of study, a base of study, and you're going to come up with the conclusion, the most logical, obvious conclusion must be the right one. And that's not necessarily true. Because there seems to be different layers, especially when it comes to psychological, dealing with the heart and mind. There are different layers to people. And you can't simply explain it away with some psychological term or slap another label on people. How are we doing, all right? How is the psychological community doing today? I mean, just look around, right? It's, it's not, it's, it, it's a mess out there. Ultimately, it's realizing behind our eyes that we have energy, that we can create high voltages of, of emotional, right, cognitive energy. And it's all flowing out to charge something, right? Like water going down to the ocean. It's, it's flipping a switch and a, and a light turns on. What is it that you in your being does what are you charging what does your energy light up all right and that's a metaphor maybe you can think about that for a moment uh while i play some classic rock So a few shows ago, I talked about um, how I was going to go to counseling again and start talking about um, my ADD, right? My, and it's not really, I mean, that's kind of a psychological term. And, and, and really what it is, is I've learned is it's, it's energy. It's, it's how my focus has been diminished. And I've been studying um, more of the spiritual side, all right, on this. Now, you hear people say that uh, with addiction, as far as addiction goes, um, 
well, you, you need some behavior modification, which is true, but how deep does that behavior modification go? Uh, on the theological side of things, you'll hear theologians or Christian theologians will say, um, well, you know, you, you have an idol. This is idolatry. There's an idol thing going on in your heart. And I get that, but some of that, when it's just purely religious or, you know, it's just purely about the facts, and a lot of theologians can do that, just break down the Bible or, you know, these kind of concepts like idolatry, for example, just down to bare-bones facts. And when it becomes that, then it's just like behavior modification, right? Like, stop doing this behavior and start doing this one and you'll be better. I was like, okay, well, that's easier said than done. And it's the same thing with idolatry. It's like, okay, stop worshiping that God and start worshiping this one. Like, what, is that, what does that even mean, all right? You know, again, it's like, all right, that sounds good. Uh, how do you do that? Because I don't know how to do that. That makes sense on paper, but what does that mean? For crying out loud, right? You get frustrated and you're like, ah! Anyway, attitudes. Attitudes of sexual integrity. I'm kind of an attitude guy, in case you haven't noticed. I am an emotional cat. When I'm not emotional, I'm depressed. I don't know. That's an emotion, too. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I go back and forth. That's probably why some, one guy said, you're probably bipolar. You're probably bipolar. You suffer from mania, so you're probably bipolar. Mania is just a, a heightened version of ADD, all right? Um, you're mania. I'm, I'm a maniac. <laughs> if, you're a, if you suffer from mania, does that make you a maniac? I guess it does. Going back to some uh, history of psychology for you. Reminds me of an 80s song called Midnight Maniac by the band Crocus. Anyway, it's a song about sex, basically. it's a, The video for the song, I remember back in the 80s because they would play it like every 15 minutes or something, and it had, you know, a scantily clad, hot-looking young woman who is uh, like a serial killer, right? The midnight maniac, the killer at large, you know, sneaking into bedrooms. And it, the song's about sex, and, and I was, I listened to that, I looked up the song on YouTube, and, and it's like, that's, that's kind of like the porn industry today, right? You know, the Midnight Maniac is this woman that seduces guys at midnight and uh, brings them to destruction and death. The more that I've studied sexual addiction, right? I've studied addiction and then, and then just the work I've done studying sexual addiction and checking into Patrick Carnes and a lot of his stuff. I mean, the, just the, the, the lives that are devastated from sexual addiction, it's, it's very much like like that song, right? Midnight Maniac. But it's a kind of energy, it's a kind of mania. And like Patrick Carnes said, right, that uh, ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, that's what addiction is. That's what sexual addiction is. So I continue to watch my energies, you know? That's what I'm talking about in this new uh, Dragon number three in the coaching series that I have online right now, um, killing the dragons behind under behavior modification. <laughs> it's on the website asi247.org. Um, just kind of prying back, peeling back the onion on just disciplined behavior modification because if we don't have the discipline to do those steps, 
then what what is under that? And that's what I'm trying to delve into and talk about. So your mind, will, and emotions, yes, it's a lot of wires in a box stuff that's going on in that fleshy meat thing in your head. But there's also a spirit to you, all right? This is 80% spiritual, 20% wires in a box. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, I pray that you have an open mind as you listen to these. Uh, this is from the YouTube channel, right? The YouTube sessions. Uh, I apologize in advance for the audio. But I'm working with what I'm working with. So, if you want to check out the YouTube channel, it's uh, Russell ASI. I think it's the YouTube channel. Um, if you want to search that out. and Or you can just go to the website, ASI247.org. Here you go. Somewhere in Seattle, Washington, with another dash cam type of session. Idolatry. That is the topic of dragon number three. And dragon number three, I'm going to approach this from three different angles, all right? My metaphorical dragon of idolatry has three heads, okay? And, uh,. Let's see. Chopping off the heads of this metaphorical dragon, it's going to take a, a three-pronged attack. And I want to talk about the first prong of this attack today. Um, to solve some of the dissonance around this, let me explain. Um, I talked about behavior modification, right, and how a lot of that, you know, it, it just doesn't work. It, it's like, kind of like a diet, you know. Well, here's the here's the foods you should eat. Don't eat these foods. Eat those foods, and, and you'll you'll be better. You'll lose weight. Um, duh, right? I mean, we know these things. It's just getting our our behavior right. Changing our behavior is is a lot. It's a lot tougher than just learning new information. If it was just new information that helped us change our behavior. Um, there would be no overweight people, okay? If people wanted to lose weight, they would instantly because we have hundreds and thousands of books on the subject. So, um, explaining behavior modification, um, people will say, and I've heard this before, I've got emails doing the podcast about this, uh, that um, idolatry is the same thing for us, isn't it? Behavior modification, right? Don't worship this God. You know, you're, you have an idol in your life. Stop worshiping that idol and start worshiping the real God. Isn't that kind of the same thing? No, it's not. And, and I'll explain why with these three heads of this dragon. Um, the reason it's not is because of our energy. And that's the first head of the dragon of, of idolatry is energy. Like we like something, right? It's not bad to like something. It's not bad to enjoy the things that God's created, right? Um, going back to the last session behind the podium of the steering wheel here, I talked about uh, idolatry being, you know, when we worship the creation over the creator. Um, worship, again, is is 
the outpouring of our lives. It's not just the music at church, but that's part of it. When we go to church, we're focused on that that time, right? We're in listening to the music. That's why they call it worship, because you're focused on God. You're singing a songs about God. You're um, listening to a sermon where pastor's talking and preaching a lesson, right? Um, this is all focused on God. But the rest of the week, what what is that about? Um, our energy is being poured out into the things we enjoy a lot of times. I used to think, does, that, does this mean um, if I become not idolatrous, does this mean I have to wear a robe and check into a, you know, a, a church on a mountain somewhere and become a monk, right? Is that, it's that total worship to God when we just give our, up all of our desires and then just become like this religious, elitist, monk kind of join a, join a convent or something if you're a woman, right? Become a nun. Um, no, I'm not, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Buddhist. Um, living out our lives and enjoying the things we enjoy and working a job and um, having some kids and having a family, getting married, these are all things and concepts in the Bible. People in the Bible do these things. It's not, you know, a Peter, who is supposed to be the first pope, according to Catholic theology, had a mother-in-law, Scripture records, and uh, that means he was married, okay? That means that, uh, Peter had sex. Okay, you're married, you got a mother-in-law, it's kind of a package deal. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of religious stuff I just don't agree with. I'm a, I'm a sola scriptura guy. I believe stuff that's in the Bible, if it's outside. Religious people love to make up rules that aren't in the Bible, and that is idolatry as well, right? When we start to, I don't know, become so religious that it just, all that matters is what I, the rules that I make. Rules made by men, the Bible says. So, what idolatry does do, uh, again, the word addiction isn't in the Bible, the word slavery is. It's when we take a good thing that God created in his creation and we turn it into a God thing, like alcohol, right? Alcoholism, alcoholics are people who have taken a good thing, alcohol, that God made, all right? Jesus drank alcohol, all right? Jesus made, his first miracle was turning water into wine at a party, all right, at a wedding feast. And and because they drank all the, well, they ran out of wine. So Jesus made more wine. It was good wine, all right? The book of Isaiah talks about, um, Isaiah the prophet is going after business owners for watering down the good wine, right? This wasn't watered-down wine without a lot of alcohol in it. It was good wine. Just the way my wine is made today is a lot like how it was made back then. It's not that much different, all right? Wine is it's wine. Um, we've changed some of the flavoring and stuff like that. Mixed wine, they did back then as well. Uh, adding fruit to it, stuff like that. Um, just that's, that's just an example, okay? Alcohol. Um, it's not grape juice, all right? The Book of Numbers actually says grape juice. Um, it says don't drink wine or grape juice or, you know, whatever. When the Bible says grape juice, it means grape juice. When it says wine, it means wine, all right? I feel like I need to cover this because there's so many Christians who think that drinking alcohol is somehow sin, and I think you've bought into a kind of scapegoating sort of idolatry. It's sort of the same thing. It's taking a good thing that God made and demonizing it. Um, 
when we worship alcohol, we become alcoholics. When we worship sex, we become perverts, sex addicts, right? Um, this was a big chunk of my life. I, I couldn't control my sexual behavior. And it was because I had given my thought life, I'd given my emotional life over to sex. A thing that God created and said was good. It's not just for procreation. Again, another religious thing. Um, my, my, my sola scriptura argument for that, the Song of Songs, Songs of Solomon in the Bible, is, is all about sexual pleasure, right? It's all about love and sexual pleasure, and the two come together, and just a great book of the Bible. There's not a, there's not a mention of babies in there, all right? Sure, procreation is part of it. Pro procreation is a good reason to have sex, okay? But it's not the only reason. God made it for us to enjoy. It actually says that in the Song of Songs. Eat and drink your fill, you lovers, all right? Inside of a committed relationship where you love one another and you're monogamous and you stay, you know, focused on each other, making love. This is God's idea, all right? Food. When, when we enjoy food, and it becomes like comfort food, you know? I hear this, oh yeah, that's comfort food. I mean, that's the language of addiction. Um, when we, I'm about 30 pounds overweight, I can stand and evaluate my relationship with food. Because, to be honest with you, I, I probably eat too much, or I don't eat right. And that is, uh, that's the sin of idolatry. I'm, there's something in me that's putting my emotional energy in, into food, eating when I don't need to, eating really bad foods that are I know are going to make me feel bad. Um, again, so it's taking a good thing that God made, making it a God thing, and we worship and serve, is the, the language of Romans 2, we worship and serve the creation rather than the creator. Um, a pet, a pet can be a total idol, you know, you you can't hang out with other people or go to other people's house or have people come to your house because your pet is, is all held up, exalted, and, and worshipped. Um, a, a spouse, you know, a, a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, if that person breaks up with me, my life is over. There's been suicides over someone breaking up with someone, you know, heartbreak, country songs, right, and rock and roll songs. There's a ton of music about this kind of idolatry where we take, again, a person and they become like God for us. They, they take the place of God in, in our life. I mean, sure, heartbreak hurts. It does. Um, I'm not saying that getting your heart broken, feeling bad over it is idolatry. I'm saying that if you feel suicidal over it, then there's an idol there, okay? God made you, all right? There's other people in the world. This one may not be the right one for you. I mean, again, this is... This is idolatry. Um, so uh, hopefully that explains some of this this energy that comes pouring out of us towards you know a, a, a substance, towards a person, towards a pet, someone to love, something to love. Um, when that gets out of alignment, when the, when we lose the energy of gratitude. Right? Thanksgiving. The Bible says this over and over. Be thanks 
for your life. Give thanks to God for the things that we enjoy. I carry around a, a scripture in my wallet. Uh, try and find it. I can. Oh, in this moment, I'm not going to be able to find it. Oh, there it is. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Um, having an energy of thanksgiving for the things that God created is a great way of diverting that energy. When we can see it, when you know about it, right? When you know that, damn man, I'm worshiping this thing, we can start to thank God for the stuff that we enjoy, but not let it own us. Not let it enslave us. We can start to see how we can, you know, let go of the reins that we have on the things that are that are devouring us. Like sex, when, when the sexual thoughts kick in, remember you're not bad or dirty. Yet, you know, this isn't. This is part of your being. This is part of who you are. It's part of your your flesh. All right. But you don't have to let those thoughts rule and reign in your mind. You don't have to let those thoughts become the actions that rule your sexuality. Um, again, like C.S. Lewis said, you're a soul with a, and you have a body, right? You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Um, God's promises in the Bible are not to make us all rich or prosperous, right? That's a myth. Um, just look at all the the people, right? The prophets, the, uh, the apostles. Their lives didn't end in a in a mansion on a hill with a two cars and a yacht. It didn't end that way. Um, the promises of God aren't to make bad people good. Um, they're they're to make dead people alive, all right? Something Ravi Zacharias said, he's a great, uh, great philosopher and, and priest and prophet and Christian apologist. I love this man. And that was a quote by him, and I always remembered that. God isn't trying to destroy you or kill your joy. He's actually trying to free you up so that you can live, you know? It's more life. It's, it's not being choked out by the things of this earth. It's being able to, to live and to live in the light of His grace and to give gratitude for the things we enjoy and to love Him and not let sex be our God. Love you guys. Energy. Bye.